Welcome, everybody, to part two of our series called We Endure. Uh, more on that series in just a moment. Right now, I want to give you an invitation for those of you looking for community, looking for growth, looking for people. Uh, I want to invite you to join a small group today. You can uh, find that most easily by texting 94000 Encounter Groups, all one word. That's all one word. Text to encounter, or sorry, to 94000 and start doing life together today. Now we're in part two of this series that kind of implies there's a part one. We kicked it off last week by taking a look at the biblical book of First Peter. And we talk about how this book is really an endurance book, his encouragement to the people, to the exiles, to endure. And today we talk about what I think is one of the most important uh, sub-passages within that book. It's how in the world that we are going to endure together in love. How do we endure in love is the question today. I mean, this question right here, this has the power, this can change our church, change our community, change our world that we so badly needed. But how do we endure in love? I don't want this to be just kind of a, a thought exercise without any, without any practical application, without any legs on it. So if you could be brave with me today and think about somebody in your life Somebody around you, hopefully not somebody who's sitting right next to you right now, but, but think about somebody who's, who's difficult to love. Because it's easy, isn't it, to, to love somebody that's just like you or, or, or love somebody who's really easy to love, to love somebody who can offer you something in return. That's not really like love, though. So think about somebody with a trade or think about somebody who's very difficult to love. Maybe you would help to think about somebody who's maybe, who's maybe unkind Somebody who's difficult to love, maybe they're controlling. Somebody who's difficult to love because they post too much on social media or maybe they post the wrong things on social media. Uh, somebody who's judgmental is difficult to love. Somebody who's controlling is difficult to love. Somebody who pronounces it gif instead of jif is difficult to love. I get it. I get it. You know, for me, in, in all seriousness, uh, the people that are most difficult for me to love are people that have either mistreated my children or I have perceived that they've mistreated my kids. Uh, this, is, uh, this is some of you who, uh, who've had a, your kids have had a teacher and, and maybe that teacher didn't quite like see the full potential in your child in the classroom that, that you saw in them. Or maybe it's the coach that didn't see it your way, like, like they didn't quite understand that your child deserves the starting position and whatever position they want from now every game until like Jesus returns. Like, like how could they overlook that? How could they miss that? And if you're one of those teachers or one of those coaches, you're looking at the parents that I just referenced and I'm like, those are the people that are so difficult to love. You know, for me, I like, it doesn't matter who it is or how old they are if I perceive that they have mistreated my kids. That's why sometimes I do, I do playground duty. I'm not just trying to, trying to be a good parent, but I, I want to I police the, the playground where my kids go on. And so, so I show up, and, and church, I put that vest on, and I have a whistle and a fanny pack full of Band-Aids. I am the law from 1215 to 1235. And I show up on the playground, and I, and I look across just to make sure my kids... My kid's being, you know, healthy, taken care of. And I look and I see, I see a little boy. He, he, I think, throws a snowball at my kid. And because, remember, I am the law, I will hold a grudge to that kid who's eight years old, well into his high school years, it'll come back. He won't even know what hit him. Much like that snowball. <laughs> 
It doesn't matter if he actually threw it or not. If I perceive that he hurt my kids, it's difficult. It's difficult to love him. Thank goodness, though, the opposite is also true. Like, if you're nice to my kids, man, you've got a friend for life. I'm trying to teach my kids um, how to enjoy winter, how to appreciate this, because, like, we're digging in, you know, to Michigan here, and, and we got to appreciate winter sports, so I'm trying to show them how to, how to ski, you know, snowboard. And, and my kids are a little nervous getting on the chairlift for the first time. And this guy, a ski lift operator who who's, looks like he's entirely unengaged from anything that is happening, which is safe, I'm sure. But until my kid gets up, she's a little nervous, you know, first few times, like, getting on and, and hopping on and, and, and just as it's like scooping her up to go, he goes, hey, you did a lot better than I could. <laughs> and she's just beaming. And so now there is a ski lift operator in Otsego, Michigan, who's got a friend for life. <laughs> He's so easy to love. But if you cross my kids, even if I think you did, so remarkably difficult to love. Now, hopefully by now you've had that person that, that comes up or the, or the trait or the type of person that's just hard for you, not, not to like, that, that's irrelevant to this, but hard for you to love. And so we're like asking the question today, how, how do we endure in love for someone like that? And I'll tell you, the wisdom here is not going to come from me. The wisdom here is not going to come from, you know, something that I came across earlier this week. The wisdom is going to come from God's wisdom in the book, the biblical book of 1 Peter. So we're going to pick it up this morning, a couple verses where we left off last week. So we go to 1 Peter 1, 22, and it says, Now, Peter says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for one another, he says, Love one another deeply from the heart. Does it just strike you as a little bit weird that he has got to tell them, to like remind them, to hey, don't forget, now that all this has happened, you still got to love each other. You still got to love one another two ways, deeply and from the heart, like actually love each other. I think it's helpful maybe to stop and ask, like, why does he have to, Tell them to keep on loving each other. Uh, part one of our message, do you remember the group of people that he's writing to? Or at least the circumstances under which he's writing this. This letter is an open letter. It takes place about 30, 35 years after the death and resurrection of our Lord. The Jesus movement, to borrow a phrase, is going viral In the most beautiful way, love is changing lives. People are finding their identity and finding their hope in the the life and love of Jesus. And they're gathering in these communities and the world around, as it does, just, it it doesn't understand it. And isn't it true? We fear what we don't understand. And so the people around did not understand this Jesus movement. Why is it that they love each other? Why is it that they lay their lives down for one another? It makes no sense. And we fear what we don't understand. And so out of their their fear, they they start hurting. And and hurt people hurt people. And and now the Jesus movements are the ones who are being hurt. And the persecution ramps up. The world around looks at them and says, like, you guys are gathering in these communities. You're calling each other brother and sister, and and that's just weird. And then you have these love feasts, and that's weird. And you talk about 
And you talk about eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus, and, and that's weird. And we don't get it, and, and quite honestly, we don't like it. And so just get out of our neighborhood. Get out of our city. I don't want to see you. You remember last week we said the people that he's writing to, they're currently living in cities, living in countries, not their own. And they're not tourists just passing through for a little while and then going to be returned home. They're not immigrants who are going to make a permanent new home in that place. They're exiles. They are stuck in a land that is not their own for an undefined, undetermined amount of time. And they have an opportunity now to dig in and to change it and to bless it. Right now, they're looking at cities and communities that they had to leave behind. They're looking for jobs and businesses that they had to leave behind. Neighborhoods, family members potentially, friends and loved ones that they had to leave behind because of fear of losing their life. And when they had to choose between their communities and their businesses and their families in that area or their faith... They chose their faith, and they took it with them. And because hurt people hurt people, Peter wants to remind them, the the scattered exiles, wherever they are, because you are hurt, this does not let you off the hook from loving one another. I just need to remind you to love one another. But the events of a week and a half ago and the images that we all saw on our screens and in the headlines where you've got a mob riot storming the Capitol, pictures of shattered glass, police officers vastly outnumbered being chased through those storied halls of our nation's Capitol building. It hurt. And we need to be reminded the words of of Peter to say, listen, hurt people hurt people. And Peter says, do not forget. Hurt does not let you off the hook of loving one another. I implore you to love one another. I think the reason why he goes there is because love isn't the natural next step. Hate is the natural result of hurt. And so we gotta, we got to reach for an emotion, or we got to reach for a response. And, and church, the thing is, and myself included, the, the first thing that like comes to mind is hate. Hate is natural. What's supernatural is love. That isn't normal. That's weird. And that also demands attention. And so Peter, reminding them to love one another, says, this is why, and he continues on in verse 23, this is why, a supernatural love, for you have been born again. Now Peter uses this earthly metaphor, being born again, and some of you are familiar with the phrase, and some of you, it sounds a little new and weird, so let's go down that. It's an earthly picture, an earthly metaphor, with this deep spiritual reality, this deep spiritual truth. And and sometimes we kind of overlook, maybe if you've heard it a bunch of times before, like, oh yeah, just like being born again. Uh, Being being born born in the family of God or becoming a Christian. Like, are you born again? Sure. Think about the what that means for just a minute. 
uh, words of Jesus, uh, being born again, uh, physically, but now also the second time, spiritually. When you are born, it marks your emergence of a new life into the world. And the born, don't they, tend to take on some of the traits of their parents, for better or for worse. But here you think about things uh, that are born. Children become and, and are born the, the traits of, of their parents. Puppies are born and they take on the traits of a dog. Calves are born and they grow up and take on the traits of a cow. A joey is born and it grows up and takes on the traits of a kangaroo. A whelp is born and grows up and takes on the traits of a coyote. I, I spent way too long this week like looking at pictures of baby animals. We could do this all the time. I called it message research. It was adorable. But anyway, the point is, though, animals grow up, we grow up, and we take on the traits of those that gave us that birth. And now he's saying, you were born not just to your earthly parents, but you were born to a heavenly father. And, and so it is now the supernatural order of things that you would grow up and take on the traits of your father in heaven and that you would love in a way that like that he would love it's the supernatural natural next step the the best way like to picture this i came across this story um paul cedar tells it he was visiting his uh, his dad at Judson College, which is on the Fox River in Illinois. And his dad is in the athletic department, and he goes and, and visits his office, and he's hanging out like he, he typically did several days. And, and he would look out his dad's office window, and there was a guy by the river feeding ducks. And the thing about it was is that the guy was out by the river feeding the ducks every day. And it didn't matter if it was June or January. The guy in the bitter cold was out there feeding the ducks. Only in January when the river had frozen over, he would also, he would also have a shovel and he would like cut out holes out of the bank of the river so that the ducks could go in and out and could get something to drink while he fed the ducks. And so Paul asked his dad, what is the deal with the guy feeding the ducks every day. Rain or snow? Sun? Hot, cold? As dad said, it is the strangest thing. I've noticed that too. And so it, it got to me. I, I went and I asked him, why the ducks? And he said that he was a Vietnam War vet. And he was marching with his unit through a, a marshy field when he came under attack. There was an ambush. And he suffered extreme uh, casualties. In fact, every single person in his unit got hit, was shot, and went down. Except him. He could see the lay of the land. He knew what was coming next. And so even though he wasn't, he pretended like he got shot and he went down too, knowing he was so outnumbered and just, just hoping for the best. Except for in this case, the best didn't happen. His ambushers came through in a very, very thorough job, was going through, and they, were, and they were putting one shot 
in each of the bodies as they went through that field, just to be sure. And he knew they were just to be sure because of somebody like him pretending. And he's got his face buried in the, in the mud in the field. And he could just cringe at each shot rings out, knowing what it means, knowing what it means coming up for him. And when he thought that he was going to be next, he heard some ducks quacking overhead. And his ambushers got distracted with, with, the, with the ducks and chased after them and started shooting them. And he said at Justin College by the river in Illinois that day, I love, I love ducks. I love because I live. And isn't that like where we all are right now? I love, we love because we live. Peter reminds us that that you were born a second supernatural time. You were born to a savior who would give up his life, who would suffer the the punishment and the penalty that that you and I, that that we should have suffered. And in exchange for us handing over our guilt and our shame and our fear, in exchange of all of that, he gives us grace and he gives us mercy and he gives us life, eternal life. How, How could I not love after something like that? I mean, after all, I love because... I live. That's an initial love. Initial love, being born into love. But, but, but enduring love is this. Peter continues on in verse 23. Not born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living, enduring word of God. We endure in love, not just being born into that love, being born into the family of God, taking on the traits of our parents, God in heaven, living and loving like him. We endure in love by the word of God. What does the word of God say about love? There's a lot in here. This is, it's a very long story from cover to cover. In case you've tried to do one of those Bible in a year programs, it's January. You're not too late. You can still catch up, jump in. There's a lot in there. There's a lot of commands in there. There's a lot of instruction in there on how to live and, and how to love. How, how do we? How do we live? How do we endure? Jesus, one time, he set his disciples down around this table, and he just, towards the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and he, he knew, you get the sense, he knew what was coming up next. He had predicted it already. And he told them, he goes, guys, everything boils down to this. John 15, verse 12. A new command I give you. And they're going, oh, come on. A new command? <laughs> There's 635 commands already. That includes the top 10 commands. We're supposed to memorize all of these. Rabbis used to walk around with with shawls around them and tassels and knots tied onto the end. 635 little knots tied onto the end of those strings just to remember each one of those commands. Don't let any of them slip. And now you got this rabbi who's giving us a new command, a new command. What what are you going to give me? A new command I give you. Love one another. Except for the way Jesus says it in the context that he says it of the whole Bible, it's really not a new command at all. It's a new way of saying an old command that every other command 
sort of was supposed to fit under that mega command, that macro command the entire time. That to love one another. That's, that's all of it. Uh, elsewhere, Jesus was asked, hey, because of all these commands, the 635, the, the top 10 commandment list that are carved into stone, because there's so many instructions, because there's so many laws, Jesus, which one do you think is the, is the best one? Which is your favorite command? Which is your, your top command, your top law? And he says, love. The top command, it's really the, the bottom command, the middle command, all of the commands all together. It's just they're all different kind of expressions of this one meta command to love God. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Just the new command I give you is just, if you need a simple way, an agitatingly simple way to boil all everything down, is just this, just love one another. Love God. Love people. Love, love one another. It's, it's infuriating, isn't it? <laughs> that everything could be boil down to just that it's far too simplistic jesus you had no idea everything that we're putting up with you you have no idea the context maybe maybe not just just love each other would you just love each other Jesus, that's why we need all of those biblical commands because we have to know what to do in different settings. And if there isn't a specific command for each scenario or setting that I find myself in, Jesus, I don't know what to do. And he could just love one another. We would be mistaken. Sometimes we think that some of the different commands in the Old Testament in particular and in the New Testament, it doesn't matter. We think that those commands are somehow different than the, than the meta command of, of loving each other. And we're like, why, why, why would we tell the truth? What do you think we tell the truth? Because there's a commandment. It's like, well, it made the top 10 list, number nine. <laughs> Thou shalt not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Don't lie. Well, that's, that's why we tell the truth. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, it's one of the commandments, but, but I only told you on the mountain carved into stone not to lie because lying isn't love, is it? You don't deceive your neighbor. That's not love. You can't justify lying to your neighbor while also loving them. So, of course, you would tell the truth. It gets a little murkier when we talk and we think about, like, like why, why, should, why should Christians, why should followers of Jesus be generous to those around them? I mean, there's not like this, this explicit command, yet generous, and I don't know exactly what that means or what it doesn't mean. And then we start to, like, make up these, these constructs. Like, well, I think, you know, if I'm generous and I give a dollar that somehow the universe or God or whatever label that I'm going to put on it is going to come around and, and pay me back 10 on my one, and, and I'm going to come out blessed and ahead at the end. And Jesus is like, come on, no. It's far more simple than that. You just, you're generous with somebody because your generosity helps them. It's as simple as that. It's just, it's loving them. Why wouldn't, why, do you need a commandment not to steal? I mean, we've, we've got one, but, but no, no, no. It, it's, it's, it's not loving. What, what, does, what does love mean? A, a question for us to ask. As head into this week, church, head into any week. It really doesn't matter. What would love have you do? I mean, you can apply that one simple question to any scenario. Uh, Telling the truth, stealing, generosity, uh, being kind to your neighbor, even those that are perceived to have mistreated your children. What does love require? What would love have you do? How would love have you respond? Like I said, 
it sounds agitatingly simple. But consider this for a moment. That when your heavenly father answered that question, it cost his son his life. It's infuriatingly simple, but when your savior answered that question, what would love have me do? It cost him his life. If we could do this, if we could love one another, especially today and then tomorrow and then this week, this month, this year, if we could just get this one thing, what would love have me do? How would love have me respond? Can you imagine? Can you start to see how our church and our visions among our communities can start to look different? Can you, can you see, can you imagine? <laughs> you know, if, you're, if you're watching this and you're a follower of Jesus, you don't have to imagine because you are the fruit of somebody else ask, answering this question in the affirmative. What would love have me do? And our faith is what is the result of all of that. Those exiles who read these words to love one another and took it to heart, changed the world. And you and I and our faith is a, is a result of all of that, of answering that question, what would love have me do? It was, it was around 135 AD. So maybe another 60, 70 years after this was written, Emperor Marcus Aurelius is managing as the plague sweeps through. A lot of uh, historians believe that this is maybe the, the, the first sighting of the smallpox plague in the Western world, but you know we're not really sure, and it, it didn't really matter. What we do know is that countless people lost their lives. I mean, the best guess is something like a quarter to a third of the Roman Empire's population died. And it lasted, I mean, we think a year is lasted 15 long years and they had no idea in the beginning in the middle how this was all happening as it began to end they thought i'm glad that that would never happen again the next generation about a hundred years later it started up again and maybe it was the same disease maybe it was something different but it didn't matter because people were getting symptomatic and then people were dying but but there was something different this time is that they, they notice something. They notice that if they're around somebody who is sick, if they're around somebody who is contagious, they would get sick and that they would get contagious. And if they died, then probably also I would die later on. And so they recognize this, this contagion and they started keeping their distance. And the culture and the custom of the day was that if somebody became sick or symptomatic... They weren't allowed to, to try to push through it and be nursed back to health. No, 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 just the opposite. In order to protect themselves, those people would be thrown out on the street with the other dead and dying. And there was this peculiar group of people that wouldn't stand for it and said, at great risk to my own health and bodily harm, I'm going I'm to stick by my loved ones and I'm going to care for them. And I'm going to nurse them. And with 
basic medical intervention. We're talking about food and water and blankets when they're too sick to eat or drink on their own or get up on their own. They cared for each other. And they cared for many of their neighbors who were sick as well, who, who weren't a part of the church. And lo and behold, a lot of them didn't die. A lot of them got better. And, and the funny thing about it is, the peculiar thing about this from a historical perspective is that people wrote about this as if they were faith healings that God intervened. Because they would care for the people, they would also pray for the people. Maybe. Maybe it was a faith healing. I don't know. As a pastor, I'm not going to write that off. As a Jesus follower, I am not going to write that off. But I can also see how in the face of fear, of death, and illness, caring for somebody who is sick is a supernatural kind of love from people who chose a response that did not come naturally, but they were born to a father in heaven and they started taking on the traits of their heavenly father. And many of those people who recovered told their friends and told their neighbors about the people who stayed behind and cared when nobody else would. When others were being thrown on piles of dead and dying, they were given water and food and blankets. And the neighbors who weren't believers became believers. And it was these exiles who took the words to heart of loving one another and telling their neighbors and caring for their neighbors. And it changed the world. And it changed the empire. It changed the West. And if you are a follower of Jesus, there's a solid chance that you could trace your faith line back to some of these people who simply asked the question, yeah, 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 but what would love have us do? And answer it earnestly. And so whatever you are facing, whoever it is that's so remarkably difficult to love, don't look for a a verse, a chapter, other than just this one. New command I give you, Jesus says. It's infuriatingly as simple as this. Love one another. And so, God, we ask that you would give us the eyes and the heart to love one another. God, as you have loved us and have given yourself up for us, you have shown us the depth of what the answer to that question could be, that we would love, even self-sacrificially. God, I I pray that as we worship together and as we sing, that we would declare that, that we no longer belong to ourselves. We belong in body and in soul, in life and in death to you, Jesus Christ. May we be available for whatever it is, however it is that you would have us answer that question, what would love have me do this week?